1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. Citizens of the world! I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. Go back to Sargos. Diana, look at you. It's like now one day has passed. I don't want to be like anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. I've never been one for rules. The answer is always more. I forgot to tell you. What? Radar. Will they will they shoot at us? Barbara, what did you do? so keen on this one i figure uh you are but you know what i'm ready to go i think we can do better parachute pants yeah um... does it does everybody parachute now
Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and this time out I am joined by Mr. Ryan Daly of Hello. the Fire and Water Network and more shows than I could shake a stick at. <laughs> How you doing, Ryan? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, we are today going to take a look at the combination theatrical and streaming release of Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, I saw it on Christmas Day when it was released for streaming. I saw it on my big screen TV and uh, you know tried to, to create as much of a movie theater experience as I could. Uh, I was in touch with Ryan around that time. And you said you were going to watch it on New Year's Eve? Yep, that was what ended up happening. Watched that New Year's Eve. Um, sort of our living situation kind of watched it on a, a big Roku 5, very large screen TV in kind of a common area with uh, some neighboring families and friends. So there was like, well, I know there was, there was only like six of us uh, and we were fairly socially distant. Um, but we had like popcorn and snacks as a kind of New Year's Eve kind of get together. And I think we started the movie, we started the movie around like 9.30 ish. So the movie ended at 12.05 right after, right after New Year's. All right. And I'll tell you just, you know, in a very, very brief way, my initial reaction was I was disappointed by the movie. Uh, but I'm, I don't want to go too much into it. I wanted to get your initial reaction before we start getting, you know, deep, deeper into it. I, I, yeah, I mean, it, I, I, <laughs> like, I don't even know what, how many jaws I'm going to give this one. Um, it's a, it's a really flawed, really problematic movie. There are things in it that don't need to be there. There are things that don't make sense. There are things that are confusing. Uh, it's, it's too long, um, by a lot, I think. Um, but there's also like, there's greatness. There's some things in there that I really like. There's some good performances. Um, there are things as a Wonder Woman fan that I like. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, I uh, my, my feeling, and I, this was like the, the very short post that I put on on, uh, on Facebook was, I you know, I didn't hate this movie. I felt that it was okay. It wasn't great. Now, for a bit of context. I did not like the first Wonder Woman movie as much as most of my friends and, and like our our peers in the, the podcasting community. Um, I felt like almost everybody that I talked to liked Wonder Woman a lot more than I did. Um, my feeling was that the first movie was well made and it was a good movie. It was solid, but I didn't enjoy it as much because there were aspects of her character the way the movie presented them that I did not like that to me felt like the wrong note for a wonder woman and just very subjectively, the type of wonder woman story that I like, I felt like this wasn't a version that I, that I necessarily connected with. So I could say that the first wonder woman movie was a, was a good movie. It was a fine movie, but after I saw it once, I didn't think I was ever going to see it again. This one with 1984, I don't think it's a well-made movie. I think the script is so flawed that there, there are some problems. I, I would not say it's a good movie. However, I, there are a lot of things about this version of Wonder Woman, about the character and the story about her that I like more than in the first one. 
So it's a weird kind of reversal of my feelings about the two movies. <laughs> but ultimately, I'm I'm disappointed in both of them because they neither of them got you know both both uh, you know qualities correct for me. But yeah. See the the first one. I don't want to go too much on that, but on the first one, I liked it. I thought it was good. I, I thought the performances were good. I thought she was very good in the role. Excuse me. Uh, I liked the fact that it was a period piece in World War One, and I thought that added to kind of an epic feel about it. Now, all that said, if I remember right, I think I gave it a Jaws two. I said, you know enjoyable movie something you could rewatch, but not great I, uh, and, yeah, that's about what i would say yeah. and i think a lot of people and and i want to say this in a way where i'm not insulting people but somebody might be insulted anyway i think a lot of people were so happy that there was a superhero movie about a female superhero directed by a female director that they took good and elevated it to great in their mind because they wanted this so badly. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, that's, uh, that was, I, I, I think I kind of had a similar reaction when the movie came out. I, I kind of felt like maybe people were giving it too much of a pass because of the circumstances. But I also recognize, I'm like, you know what? If women and young girls saw that movie and got something from that movie that maybe I didn't get, but that it, really deepened their love and their appreciation of the movie because of gender and, and like aspects and, and just like qualities that I can't understand or relate to. If they got something out of that movie that I didn't, that's not a problem with the movie. That's fine. That's good for them. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm okay with that. If, if the, if the movie played better to that audience, that's good. It should, it was designed to do that. So yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yes, and that I, I agree with you there that it, you know that maybe that greatness was seen by some people who had more uh, at stake, you know, more, more skin in the game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and and and, it, and that it, they related to it more, and that's fine. I have no problem with that, and I I have to always throw out everyone, or not always, but every once in a while, I like to throw out the fact that I welcome varying opinions. I don't do this show or any of the shows that I'm on with the thought that, oh, everybody has to agree with what I think. That, you know, I'm, I'm somehow the, <laughs> the, the gatekeeper of, of quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, when I think something's good and somebody doesn't, or I think something is not good and, and other people think it is good, or even something like this where I think something is good and other people think it's great, I welcome those debates. I mm-hmm. think it's fun to hear why somebody th- sees things as di- differently than I do. Uh, in this particular instance, I don't think there's going to be much of that because I get the feeling that you and I pretty much agree on on uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into it, I liked the idea that it was going to be a period piece of 1984, but I feared it was going to be too comical, that they were going to try yeah. and make it into too much of a farce. And they, they didn't really do that, so I appreciate that. But they also didn't make me feel nostalgic for the 80s either. Yeah, yeah. So, again, like setting up my, my expectations for this one. So after after the first movie, I was like, okay, they're making a sequel. I'll probably see it, but I wasn't excited for it. You know, I, I've been I've been sufficiently burned by the DC movies that I don't get excited when I when I hear about them. I was like, you know, if I see it, I see it or whatever. 
but the trailer, the first teaser for this movie with the the music and the colors and the vibrancy, I loved the teaser. Like just that 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 like ninety seconds or two minutes, whatever it was, primed me for this one. I was like, that is the best movie teaser that I've seen in for a while. Like that got me more excited than anything that I've seen for Black Widow or any other superhero movie. The teaser for this, mm-hmm. um, and but then I was kind of like, I was like, is it just the song? Do I just really like that song? <laughs> um, but so yeah, so then going into this one. I I had the question several times in this movie, why is this set in the 1980s? Why is this a period piece? Um, and I don't know if the movie sufficiently answered that other than feeling the need to really lean on the, the Cold War crisis of nuclear Armageddon for the last 20 minutes and that sort of like escalation and, and things like that. But I kind of feel like you could have done that today and, and that wouldn't have been far fetched. That, that would have been easily explained because, because of the supernatural influences on the governments and why they're ramping up their, their nuclear weapons. I was like, I, so I, I, at the end of the day, I came to, I was like, okay, you made some jokes about this being set in the eighties with the fashion and everything, but you didn't make a whole lot of them. And I still kind of wonder, I was like, why, why was this in 1984? Why was this in the eighties at all? Like, was that important? And I'm, I'm asking uh, you, like, what do you think? No, you know, I, I think I think the best I can come up with is that it presents Wonder Woman as a character that has been around all this time. Uh, you know, she was around, in, you know, we already know she was around in World War One, mm-hmm. and then went into some sort of seclusion, I guess, because Steve Trevor had died. Uh, but then we didn't see her again until... BVS, I mean, which, you know, obviously the, the movies were in reverse order, but we didn't, you know, we, we see her in, I guess, 1918 or so, and then we're not seeing her again until 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. So almost 100 years have gone by, and the question is, has she been around all this time? Clearly, she hasn't been in the public eye much because... Uh, you know, Bruce Wayne is investigating her and, you know, he's got like a blurry photo of her from, from World War One. Uh, but if she, it, it's, you know, the continuity is a little, you know, a little bad there because she was seen publicly here, uh, you know, in an era where people would be much more likely to have film or, vi- or photos or something to, to document her existence. Uh, but. All I can think is they're trying to show that she has been around all these years. Right. I mean, they, they didn't have cell phones necessarily, but there were a lot of people in the shopping mall that saw her. So I feel like the story would have gotten around. Yeah, no, no, no question. Uh, you know, on the positive side of this movie, I thought that she and uh, Chris Pine, you know, Gail Gadot and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Chris Pine both did very decent acting jobs with the material they were given. I think they were given some subpar material to work with at times. So I think that drags the movie down a little bit, but, but I think they did everything they could with the material they had. Yeah. I actually, I thought across the board, the performances were good. I mean, they had good chemistry in the first one and 
I, I understood that, you know, you want to preserve that. And so you bring him back for this one. And, and I thought their, their performances and their, yeah, I, I would echo what you said. They like, yeah, they, they didn't necessarily have the best stuff to do, but they worked fine together. And I actually, I really liked at the end when she has to say goodbye to him, when she has to recant her wish and, and he's telling her, he's like, this is my choice. You know, this has to do it when she has to, you know, bid him adieu and, and the emotion in that scene. I thought that part was effective and I liked that. Yeah, um, I agree. But the other performances too, like Kristen Wiig, I did not have a lot of expectations for her playing. And then at the beginning when they introduced her, I was like, okay, she's this meek, mousy, like socially awkward, nerdy person who's going to be jealous of you know, the, the superhero, I was like, we saw that in the Riddler in Batman Forever. We saw that with Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I was like, why do the writers keep going back to this trope? It doesn't work out. I was like, like I don't know why they think, you know, making these weird, nerdy, socially awkward people turn into like these, like these jealous, vindictive villains. I don't know if this is like a Hollywood thing, but they, they've done that a lot in the movies. But so I so I thought that was going to be terrible. And I actually I was like, I like the slow burn take they're they're doing with her and how she starts to turn and and where she's going with the character. So I I liked her as Cheetah until the last transformation when they went CGI with her. Um, I also mostly liked Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord. And I think we will probably have to spend more time talking about the, his character in general. Mm-hmm. Um but performance-wise, I thought those four as, like, the leads of this all did really, really well, given the material wasn't spectacular. And in that regard, I'm going to say I didn't think Pedro Pascal gave a bad performance with what he was given, but I thought he was terribly miscast as Maxwell Lord, and I thought the part was poorly written. I, yeah, I, yeah, it was, I'm, I'm trying to think if the part was just ill-conceived, totally. Or I don't think it's the Maxwell Lord that we know from comics at all. It absolutely it, is not. They could have called this guy any other name, and it wouldn't, like, I, you wouldn't have missed anything. In fact, in fact, when they said that Maxwell Lord is going to be the big villain in it, I actually, I got mad because I'm like, okay, Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord only have one connection in the comic books and that's and it's what we she, were going to get here <laughs> and it was it's when she snaps his neck i was like that's the only thing they've done and it's like for some reason he's part of her rogues gallery now because she killed him in that comic and i was like that's stupid and but also i'm like well i guess i know how his story arc is going to end in this movie i i know it was coming in the last act and surprisingly they didn't do that um, so I was actually pleasantly surprised that, that, that the, the climax of the movie was very different. I want to come back to that too, but yeah, like though this whole time I'm like, this is not Maxwell Lord. Why are you even calling him that? Um, yeah, so I don't like, I, I, I'll tell you when his character wasn't working for me. It was when I felt like they were sort of ham-fistedly trying to draw allusions to Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. For anybody listening who might not know, I do not like Donald Trump. I do not like him at all. I I think he's kind of a garbage person, and that has nothing to do with where you might fall on the political spectrum. I just think he's a terrible person. 
So if you're going to make him the villain of the movie, I was like, oh, I can see the appeal to that. But I also don't think he's an interesting villain. I'm talking about Trump here. Um, so when they tried to insert like these, when it, it, it just felt like very often they were dropping things about his character to try and remind us, hey, you know who we're really talking about, don't you? Wink, wink. And it felt like they did that a lot. And every time it pulled me out of the movie. Yeah, it was at the expense of the story a lot. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, I know it's you know it's vogue to uh, get on Trump, and I, I'm not here to debate his qualities in any way. Uh, but as a movie character, yeah, it takes away from as a superhero movie character, it takes away from the movie. Maybe there's yeah. maybe there's a movie out there where they can make with him uh, as the focus that would be entertaining somehow. But it was just it just it fails like here. It, yeah, there was just no subtlety about it. It just it literally felt like the the screenwriters and the directors were just like kind of like tapping me on the shoulder and were like, you you caught that, right? You see what we're doing? You know, and I'm just like, yeah, stop that. Let me enjoy this movie because the other stuff you're giving me about his character, I'm really kind of finding fascinating about this, like how how kind of like desperate and he's he didn't get into this game with evil, malicious intent. You know, he just wanted to be better than what his life had been up to that point. Um, so the fact that they they gave him kind of a redeeming, you know, quality by the end of it, this little mini redemption with his son, I was like, OK, I liked what you were going for. I don't think I liked how you got there. I didn't think the execution worked, but I was kind of pleasant that he wasn't just this evil mustachio twirling villain. I was like, that was something different that I wasn't expecting. So I liked that part of it. But, you know, I didn't feel any chemistry between him and his son. So because of that, it just didn't feel uh, it didn't feel real to me at all. I I felt totally like I was being totally pulled out of the movie at that point. Um, I, I, I thought a lot of his stuff just felt very contrived. And again, I think they wasted uh, what I think could have been a very good character, uh, you know, if they if written correctly. I think, you know, uh, Max Lord should be more manipulative and, and you know, conniving and, and, you know, doing things behind the scenes that you don't even realize he's doing until they finally come into play. Uh, you know, that's at least the way I understand the character. And, you know, this this just wasn't that character at all. Uh, and well, if you want to talk about DC wasting a character, let me tell you something about Jimmy Olsen in this universe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very <laughs> true. Good point. Uh, yeah. There, there's just, you know, I guess they, they used, they picked Maxwell Lord just cause he's a name. And like you say, uh, in theory, he's in, uh, Wonder Woman's rogues gallery, even though there's really no sense to it. Yeah, that just, it, I I think that was just a Jeff Johns thing because I was under Jeff Johns tenure, and yeah, yeah, I don't know, yeah, I don't know what else to do with it, but uh, but yeah, I mean, yes, but so so getting to getting we're like jumping now to the, like the very end toward, towards the climax. Like I said, I was expecting her to have to go in and just snap his neck, and that was going to be the end, and I was just going to like you just cringe. The fact that by the end of this movie. She solves it. She solves the crisis. She brings peace back to the world nonviolently. 
by talking to people, by showing them the truth, by showing them the wisdom through the use of the, the lasso of truth of kind of like exposing this great lie. I, I mean, some of it was a little bit forced and some of it was a little bit clunky, but I loved the spirit of that. I loved what they were trying to do with it because Again, like I, I mentioned how my problem with the first Wonder Woman movie was things that they did with her character. I, I flat my like the, the first Wonder Woman movie lost me right away because her whole deal, like if Wonder Woman is supposed to be like this ambassador of peace, she leaves her homeland. She goes to man's world. She basically joins the war effort with the express intention of murdering one person on the other side that she thinks will end the conflict. There's a word for that. It's called assassin. <laughs> like you've turned Wonder Woman, not as a, not a superhero, not a warrior for peace. She's an assassin in your movie. She's carrying a sword. And by the end of the movie, she stabs the bad guy through the heart, thinking that he's gonna, it's going to end the war. I was like, that, I have a problem with it. So this one, First of all, she never has a sword in this movie, and I love that. All of her, her, you know, weapons is just the the tiara or the bracelets or the wet or the lasso. I loved all of that. The fact that she's able to stop the villain's master plan without killing him, without resorting to violence with her super strength, without stabbing anybody, she shows him the truth, and she shows the whole world the truth, and she gets. The, the superpowers to disarm and to turn off their bombs and everything like that. I thought that was a really, really powerful, like climactic revelation at the end that is unique to Diana and her character that you wouldn't see in a Superman movie, that you wouldn't see in a Batman movie or a, or a, a Captain America movie or a Spider-Man movie, that it, only something Wonder Woman could do. And I love the fact that they tried it. Did they execute it perfectly? I do not think so, but I, I give them an A for effort in that case because that was the kind of ending of a Wonder Woman movie that I did want to see. Yeah, unless I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong because maybe I misunderstood the, uh, the the progression of it. Uh, my understanding was that they would they needed everyone to recant their wishes, and I think it's a little Pollyanna to think that you could do that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. If if in fact everybody needed to renounce their wishes, like I don't know if everybody had to, or if just he had to, because by that point he was the stone. Like if if he renounced his wish, would everything have gone away? I, I have no idea. Um. Yeah. To expect that everybody would have seen, would have you know everybody's heart would have grown three sizes that day across the whole world. Yeah, that's just unbelievable. But it's also a superhero movie, and and she rides on lightning bolts with her with her with so i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna say there was some magical influence involved in that decision making by the end of it all right i'll i'll, I'll give you that uh <laughs> i would i thought they came up with a plausible way of bringing chris pine back into the sequel and not having it seem stupid um, yeah, I actually, well, so I, I liked, I, I think her having that wish and him coming back was cool. And it was a, it was a cool way of bringing him back. I think the whole thing where he basically possessed another man's body was weird and kind of 
unnecessary and, and, and more problematic than that because like like why did like was it just like about like him bringing his his soul back or something like why if if she just wished that he was back why wasn't he just mysteriously alive why did he have to take over another person's life because also and I this is I mean I, I didn't find out that this was sort of controversial until after I watched it and then I found out a lot of people are having this problem but once he comes back she goes to bed with him that night and I'm like like okay is it is it steve trevor's body or is it the other guy's body did she use somebody else for sex who could not have like given consent in that situation you get you're getting into some weird kind of creepy details that probably i mean i i think most people would give it a pass because it's a woman in this case but i was like if those roles were reversed if if it was a if the hero was a man and this was a woman's body or like it just like that 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 bothered me right from the beginning i was like this is a weird kind of like sexual no-no area that you should not be doing like especially at this point in in where we are as a, as a society and yeah, I, I think also you almost thought, you almost get away with it just because all you see is Chris Pine, you know. Yeah. Ex- except for the very beginning scenes when you you know you you understand that that it doesn't actually look like him that you're seeing. You're right. you're seeing the embodiment, but you're not seeing the actual physical appearance. Yeah, but at that point, I, at that point, I still think it was kind of confusing because it was like, is she the only one who sees Steve Trevor? Does everybody else see this guy who? kind of like sort of looks like Chris Pine and, and Christian Slater had a kid together or something like that. <laughs> like I, yeah, it was just, it was confusing at that point. And I just kind of felt like, I was like if you're going to bring him back, just she made a wish and he's back to life. You don't need to bring in this other element where he's in somebody else's body. Cause that just adds weird comedy. Cause then she's taking him into a battle zone. And like, if he got, if he was shot in the middle of Egypt or something like that during this fight scene, I was like, did she just get this other guy killed? I, I don't know. So. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. When when you when you stop to think about it, there's a lot of levels that that's wrong on. It's it's really almost depends on you just giving it a pass and not paying mm-hmm. attention to all those right. details. Right now, potentially there was there was something that they were going if if they were if they were trying to show that like she had such a blind spot for Steve that I, I, because I. I the other thing was like half an hour into this movie, I was wondering why did we have the whole Olympic games on paradise Island in the beginning of the movie? Like I, it's a great looking sequence, but I kept thinking, I was like, what was that about? If you cut that from this movie, have you sacrificed anything? And I mean, ultimately I guess like the theme that Robin Wright's character was, was trying to import was that you can't take shortcuts. You can't cheat. If you really want to have, you know, be this great person, you need to, you need to play by the rules. And so if like the, if the idea was, you know, you know, she, in order to get what she really wants, which is Steve, she is willing to bend the rules. She is willing to possibly take advantage of a guy who couldn't say yes or no to going to bed with Gal Gadot. I don't think a lot of guys would have said no in that situation. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot of hetero guys, I should say. Um, uh, like, would you, would she possibly risk his life in, in a war zone? Would she take him, like, would she risk him getting arrested for stealing a plane? Like, there's a lot of things. And, and you can kind of say that, you know what, this is, it's so important to her that she's sacrificing some of her innate moral center 
to get what the to, to to get this, and that's ultimately something that she is going to have to renounce to get that back. Then, okay, maybe I can kind of see what they were doing, but that if that was the theme, I feel like I'm doing more than I'm, I'm meeting them more than halfway if that was their intention. Oh, I think you're you're absolutely absolutely meeting them more than halfway because I don't think they give you. I don't think they give you a lot there, and if they're expecting you to just kind of pick that out on your own, I think that's asking a lot of the audience. I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, you don't, you don't need to have it spelled out word for word and have have somebody come out and say the moral of the show is blah blah blah. But I think if you're going to make it a theme, you need to, you need, you, I think you need to have a little bit more repetition to the theme. Right. Right. Now um, I, I know it's, I know it's nitpicky, but. It bothered me that a pilot from 1919 <laughs> can get behind the wheel of a, a 1984 plane and fly it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, when when I was watching, like one of the one of the other couples with me, like somebody was like, "Didn't he die in World War Two? How does he know how to fly fly a plane in like the 80s?" I was like, "It wasn't World War Two. It was World War One." I was like, we're talking about like a 60 year gap in technology in aviation technology. Um, and, and ultimately, like, like, again, that whole thing was like, like flying is just innate to his nature. And it's something that he can just, he can, he can just sort of like figure it out. And he, he's inspiring to her. So that somehow helps her understand that how she can fly herself just by gliding on the winds. And I was like, that was, I don't, I don't, yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, if they had just given it something where, you know, he gets behind the wheel and, you know, he gets in the cockpit, whatever, and meanwhile, she's busy doing something else and he's having time to kind of look it over and figure it out and he's, you know, this technological genius of sorts or the, this aviation genius, whatever you want to look at it as being. And somehow he, you know, he figures it all out by the time she gets up there with him. I, I could go with that, but he just gets yeah. behind the, you know, just gets, gets into the pilot seat and knows how to do it. No, I, I, and then she turns it invisible, which I got to think has got to make it even more difficult to, <laughs> to deal with. Yeah. That's fine. You can't even see the instrument. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it, it's, it shouldn't be problematic because it's a nitpick, but it is problematic for me. And what was the point of the, what was the point of turning it invisible? Just to like give other you, the, it was just to give you the, the Easter egg of the invisible jet. I really think that's it. It's, it's part of the Wonder Woman's lore and they had to throw it in there somehow. But it served no function to the story. Like. I, I mean, I think, like, I mean, it was, okay, as a spectacle, it's nice that they flew through the fireworks, and that was interesting to look at, but, like, honestly, you, you like, that whole sequence should have been cut. Like, just have them just show up in Egypt. Yeah, and, and one of the comments you made earlier that I totally agree with is we needed some judicious editing in this thing to make it yeah. about, about half an hour shorter. Yeah, yeah. Um. This, this, I think there this were, movie really yeah. needed a script doctor to come and sit down with it. And maybe, maybe you had the uh, framework of a good movie in there. But if you had a, somebody who really knew what they were doing, sit down and, and 
fix it up and, and chop some things out and, you know, move some things around a little bit. I think, you know, maybe you could have done something, but as is it, it felt, uh, it felt, it, it felt like they were just kind of, it, it felt self-indulgent is what it is to me. I think so too. I mean, especially cause for a, for a movie, it was, I think it's two and a half hours. And I think, it, I mean, I think it feels longer, but for two and a half hours, I think there are only four action like set pieces or battles five. If you count the opening games, uh, which isn't like a conflict, but you can say it like as an, you can count it as an action set piece if you wanted. Um, and, and the first two are like right back to back because you start that and then you immediately jumped to 1984. And there's the whole thing like with the, the robbery gone wrong in the, the shopping mall, which escalated really weirdly. And then I did not like that scene because the way she's kind of like swinging around and kind of going back and forth and like last week, to me, it felt like a Spider-Man scene. I was like, I'm watching a Spider-Man action sequence that they're putting Wonder Woman in. And it just totally felt off. And it seemed like she like, she was going out of her way to kind of like lasso them and like tie them up and everything, but like not punching them or manhandling them. She was being very kind of delicate with them Mm -hmm. and then it like cuts to outside and like all four of them just drop onto this car and cave it in. And I'm like, all right, that broke a couple of spines. Yeah. yeah, There's definitely some death that was dealt there. Uh, So yeah, that yeah, that, that opening action sequence in the mall. I, I don't know. I, I loved the colors. I loved it as a display of her power. I liked a lot of what she was able to do with the, the lasso and as like, it's probably more of a whip more more often in this one. Um, but they just did very cool things with her, but yeah, something about just the tone of that fight and like the, the fight choreography of it just felt really off to me. I felt like I was in the wrong movie. I, you know, there's a couple of points that you've made so far that I hadn't really considered. I, I think I was looking at this a little bit more surfacey than you are, and, and I appreciate the insights that you're bringing to it. Uh, you know, I hadn't considered the fact that that was not a scene or, or a style of fight that you would see Wonder Woman in traditionally, and, and, and it, it is more like a Spider-Man type thing. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, and, and the other thing that you pointed out was I, I did see that uh, – which was Cheetah's buildup was, you know, that, that we, we saw some stereotypes and some uh, tropes that we've seen before, but I didn't make the connection with Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And once you pointed that out, I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's so on point. Mm. Or, or for that matter, uh, Kim, uh, what's her name uh, in uh, Batman and Robin? Oh, uh, uh, Poison Ivy, Uma Thurman's character. Or, or even uh, what? Even uh, Catwoman in in uh, Batman Returns. Yes, yeah, because she starts off that way too. So I, I didn't realize what a, what a uh, you know what a stero- what a, what a, a, a an overused trope that is. God, yeah, I was only thinking out. of the two, and you were like, yeah, you're, there's a guy, there's a longer, much longer history of of having those of the, those type of like nerdy mousy characters kind of like just turn getting, getting a little taste of power. And then it kind of totally consumes them and they become like the, the sort of jealous, you know, vindictive ex lover. I don't know. That, that must be something in Hollywood that they think that's a, a popular villain trope. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. 
or, or you know, unfortunately, what what I actually what I am thinking is it's lazy writing is what it is. Potentially, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think this movie really could have, like I said, I think it really could have used a script doctor, mm-hmm. and I don't know uh, who got the scripting credit on this. Let me. It, there's a couple. It, Jeff Johns is one of the writers. Patty Jenkins is one of the writers, and then there's one or two other guys. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, and I—that's the funny thing—is because like I wonder if because this movie was supposed to have come out like a year ago, like I think this was originally supposed to be a winter 2019 movie, and then they decided they didn't want it to compete with a Star Wars movie or something, and they thought that it, like being a Wonder Woman sequel, it would have enough legs to be like a summer tentpole. They pushed it back. It was supposed to come out in the summer instead. So they held on to it. And then because of the shutdown and everything. So this is, this movie has been sitting around completed, I think for almost a year. Um, but maybe like the actual writing and production of it was rushed. I don't know, but yeah, like you'd, you'd think with all that time, somebody would have taken a look at this and been like, mm, can we want to take another pass at this one? See, I'm I'm thinking maybe just the exact opposite. Maybe because this was not getting the traditional theatrical release, they felt that since you know streaming at home, it was okay for it to to be a little less constricted, and you know let let Patty Jenkins kind of have her way with it, and and just go with her vision. Whereas if it was going to be released in a theater, maybe they would have said, you know what, 151 minutes is too long. Let's let's chop 15 or 20 minutes off of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess it depends like when the movie was actually completed and if they did any, if they've been tweaking it at all this past year. I don't know. Because I, I, I think there's there's some things in here that you could have seen in a deleted scenes reel. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, so, any any other points on this one? Uh, uh, we I go mean, to rating. <laughs> just like in general, I, I, I like the whole conceit of the plot, which is there is this, um, the, this wishing stone. Um, I actually, I, I thought it was cool that they they dropped in the Easter egg that like this was part of like the Duke of Deception, or that had been. You know, his his, you know, his shtick at once upon a time. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. I like that that was sort of the the, you know, the the MacGuffin or whatever you want to call it, like the the impetus behind all of these powers and all these changes, that it was something unique, um, that it was something kind of like magical. And it had all this uh, effects if it was being abused and that Diana wasn't immune to its to its power at first. Um, I do think the way they explained how it granted its powers and then what the consequence of it was like the, the cost that it would take. I felt like some of that needed to be tweaked because there were a lot of parts that were confusing before they really clearly explained that, Oh yeah, there is a cost. Like if you wish upon this thing, it will take something as its price. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like, it was like a while, like, because like my, my friends were like, they're like, well, did she just get shot? Like, is it, is she losing her powers? And I'm like, no. I mean, Wonder Woman doesn't have bulletproof skin. Otherwise, she wouldn't need the bulletproof bracelets. 
So I was like, so yeah, if she gets shot by a heavy artillery shell from that Jeep or something, yeah, it's going to break the skin. She's going to be bleeding. But then they're making a, like, you know, two minutes later, the, the characters are saying, how did you get shot? What's going on? You're losing your powers. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm wrong. So <laughs> no, you're yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, they just the way, the way essential information to the plot of this was doled out was confusing and really kind of clunky at times. And again, I just, I keep coming back to problematic. Um, my wife, my wife wanted there to say, monkey's paw like five more times she thinks she would have gotten like a free sub if they had just cracked like a, set, a certain number because they just boy they mentioned it a lot um just do you get it are you really and it's so yeah just yeah it, it boils down to the performances were good there were aspects of the filming and the choreography and the color that i really enjoyed but it boils down to just script level fundamental problems that somebody should have come along with. Yeah. A script doctor or with all, maybe, maybe there were too many hands working on this thing and they weren't all in concert, but yeah, just it's, it comes down to just weird, dumb story choices. But as I said, I didn't hate this movie and there are aspects of what this movie aspired to be and the type of Wonder Woman that it tried to present for the character that I really, really like, in fact, more so than we got in the first one. So, yeah, it's ultimately, ultimately, I, was like, I, I can't say it's a good movie. I can't recommend it. But I enjoyed most of my viewing experience. It's weird. Right, I, see, I can't go as far as to say I enjoyed most of my movie experience. Yeah. I enjoyed parts of my movie experience, and, and most of it was performance-based. Mm -hmm. uh, but just to, to throw out an extra thing that we, we have omitted to mention, uh, my most enjoyable moment, uh, I, I think, was you know telegraphed from a mile away, but uh, the credit scene... Uh, to me, was the, the brought the biggest smile to my face of anything. Oh yeah, movie. seeing Linda Carter, yeah. That was good. But I mean, you know, as soon as, as soon as that scene opened up, I, I kind of knew where that would, that was going to have to go. But it was just, you know, it was all it was almost better knowing where it was going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you know, I, I didn't want, I didn't need the mystery of oh, who could that be? Yeah. Uh, you know, I. I like I said, it seemed, it seemed very obvious going into the scene who it was going to be, and then it just turned out to be the case. But, again, that brought a big smile to my face, more so than anything else in the movie. So, yeah. you know, kudos for that, at least. Yeah, I had I had heard, actually, like, it was the one spoiler that I heard right before I sat down was somebody said that she has a cameo in the movie. And when Diana was telling Steve about the goddess... Asteria, Astoria. I don't even remember like the name. And you just see the Some, woman something in, like that. Yeah, the woman in the armor, and there's just a close up of her eyes. I kind of like I keyed in on that one. I was like, I think that might be Linda Carter. I was like, I, I think they might be saying that maybe they'll do some else, something else where they reveal that. But I was like, uh, I was like, the, I, like the, if if those aren't her eyes, they like maybe they're doing like a, a Marvel or Star Wars like de aging effect. I was like, those those look like her eyes to me, and that would be a nice little way of saying that she was Wonder Woman before Gal Gadot. So that yeah, once once I saw that little clip, I was like, I think that might be her. So yeah, it, I was I was ready for that when we got the mid credit scene. And I, I gotta say, if they have if they did not do any 
uh, CGI de-aging, she looks fantastic. Cause she's oh, got, yeah. she's oh. got to be right around 70. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, she, she yeah, looks great. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she, uh, she posted something on Twitter where she was like holding the original costume, not wearing it, but like holding like the original costume. Um, but, and, but like even still, like what you could see of her, I was like, she still looks good. I was like, I would still pay money to see her wearing that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So having gone through our pluses and minuses, where do you drop it on the Jaws scale? I, I think it's a Jaws 3. I don't feel comfortable saying that this is a Jaws 2 movie. It's not. It's, they're, they're, their problems are too numerous and too fundamental. Um, I can't say this is, like, you know, like a, a good movie, but not great. Like, I, I don't think I can get it. I, I can't go that far. I, I, it's, I have a weird sort of asterisk attached to this, or parentheses. It's a Jaws 3 that I liked more than I des- more than the movie deserved me to like it. So yeah, it's it's not just for it's not god awful. Um, I don't know if I will watch it again. Um, but you know, I think what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna go to YouTube and I'm gonna watch the trailer again. <laughs> That's how much I like the trailer. <laughs> I think in the hands of lesser, let me change that. In the hands of less charismatic actors than Gal Gadot and. Uh... Gal Gadot and uh, Chris Pine, I think this would be a Jaws 4 for me. But I do think that they bring enough to the table and they are likable enough in the roles. And I did like, which we hadn't mentioned, I did like the score as it was presented in the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know that it's something I'd want to put on, you know, on, on my car radio and listen to without a movie playing. But as presented in the movie, I did like the score. So I think those things prop it to a Jaws 3. Uh, right. and, and that it's, you know, it's got its moments that were enjoyable. Yeah. The one one thing that I would be curious about, I mean, these are our ratings. This is what we thought. And as evidence, as documented, we are two men, you know, get, getting our review of this. Uh, similar to what we were saying about the previous one, I would be interested in hearing what more women think about this movie. Um, I can only speak anecdotally. My wife did not like it. She was much more harsher on the movie than I was even. Like, I was like, you know, I didn't hate the movie. She's like, I did. Um, so I, I would just be curious if, if what we were saying about the original movie, if, if, if a, a female audience saw elements of the, of the movie, of the character that they hadn't seen, like we said, if they had more skin in the game. Would they now, perhaps be more favorable or, or forgetting of the movie? Let me, um, let me ask not, you this, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, what is your wife's level of interest in this type of genre? She has seen almost all of the superhero movies. She generally likes sci-fi and fantasy and action, stuff like that. Um, she, I mean, when we first started making like I, I, she's read some of the comics – um, not not a whole lot, but uh, I mean, like she's re- she's familiar with the genre, um, and she really likes all the movies and the TV shows and everything like that. We've seen almost every Marvel movie together in the theaters. Um, uh, she saw she saw Justice League like months before I did, um, uh, and she's generally more kind of like more forgiving and more kind of like yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, but yeah, this one she was. Like, yeah, I, I could tell that she wasn't having fun. And like, we, we, we had a, a brief little debrief after it was over. She's like, that was just dumb. So, 
yeah just just for what it's worth my better half is in a similar boat she will she will she will watch all these movies with me she'll go to them she usually enjoys them uh you know she but she is not by any means a geek uh you know she has no interest in the comic books and you know no interest really in the lore <clears throat> behind the movies she just wants to see an entertaining movie right uh, and she did not like this yeah yeah so, so I don't know if, if, you know, that's that's a pretty small sample size, uh, but it I haven't seen anything where it seemed like the female viewing audience was embracing this more than me. Although I have to say most of the people I've spoken to were not quite as harsh on it as I was. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, maybe they're maybe that's not no longer a factor now that they've gotten. The first Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, other you know other movies and in, the, in Black the sort Widow of genre. coming. Yeah, Black Widow coming. Yeah, or, I mean, yeah, potentially you could consider the Harley Quinn movie that came out you know eight months ago. You know, more than that, it was like February, um, which I, I haven't even seen. But you know, it's, it's certainly it's it's not a a unique aspect of the genre. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I agree. So, but that's that's the review from these two guys and <laughs> if you have a different opinion you know, send an email uh i'm at jawspodcast at gmail.com i don't put, give out the email address nearly often enough uh if you disagree please please let us know what you think because we'd be interested in hearing it uh but in the meanwhile i want to thank you ryan for coming on with me and why don't you give everybody kind of a, the lowdown of what you do on the uh, fire and water network yeah, go to the Fire and Water Podcast Network, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Um, I've got tons of shows there. I am the host of several of them. Uh, Cheerscast, which is my uh, index show of my favorite TV show of all time, Cheers. Uh, I also host Fire and Water Records, which is kind of a musical anthology show talking about favorite bands, songs, albums, things like that. Uh, Chris Franklin and I co-host Batman Nightcast, where we pick up Batman comics that we love. Um, and, uh, yeah, also a few other shows, uh, give me those star Wars. Um, and from time to time, I'll just, I'll pick a random story or subject to cover on FW presents, which is a kind of anthology catch all stuff, but yeah, plenty and, and other shows that have since been canceled, but fire and water podcast network is where you can find me. All right. And everybody should find him there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks, thanks for making the time to come on with me, Ryan. I appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thank you, everybody who's listening. And we will see you in two weeks.